to who and what we encounter in our life. And on the basis of this law of cause and effect, we are also responsible for what happens to us. These effects or results, they are just the natural outcome of some previous causes. So we cannot blame anything or anybody for what happens to us and so also this is our responsibility. This law of cause and effect on the moral plane is uh, karma, karma and its effects and I talked about that uh, two nights ago. So we should learn to face the challenges of our life with mindfulness and consideration, with forgiveness, patience, loving-kindness and honesty. And to do so, we need to be diligent. We need to uh, put effort into our practice and we need to be persevering. If we are endowed with these qualities, then we can take the responsibility for our life in our hands, and so we become self-reliant. My teacher, Jamie Sayado, has written many verses that the Burmese yogis chant before the daily Dhamma talk. And not only the yogis or meditators chant these verses, also the volunteers uh, chant these verses during their daily uh, or during their evening uh, chanting and meditation practice. And one of these verses contains a number of qualities which are needed to be successful in our practice. And it can be translated as the path to success. This verse has become one of the most popular verses because it contains the most important ingredients for success in our spiritual practice. This verse is in rhymes, in the Burmese version, and so it can be easily memorized. The English translation goes as follows. To avoid all evil, to cultivate good, to purify one's mind, to speak, act and think with mindfulness and consideration, to be truthful, forgiving, patient and loving, to always be energetic and persevering, Applying these qualities everywhere leads to success. As you can see, the ingredients for a successful practice are not some unattainable or even magical qualities, but they are quite simple um, qualities that we are all endowed with to a certain degree. And through the development of these qualities, they can become stronger and more powerful, and so then with that, they have the power to cut through the veil of 
uh, ignorance and free us from all the defilements. The path to success is not as difficult uh, or complicated as it seems to be or as we imagine it to be. The ingredients or the qualities which are needed are quite simple and plain. The difficulty lies only in the constant and systematic application of these qualities. If we, if we would make use of every single ingredient or quality which is needed for a successful practice, and if we would apply them constantly and all the time, we all would leave from this retreat as little Buddhas. Nowadays, everything should be instant. We have instant teeth, instant photos, instant horoscope, instant soups. This is already quite uh, old-fashioned. Now the instant trend has reached other areas like communication with the cellular phones, with SMS messages and so forth. I even don't know what (laughs) is the latest thing in this field. And also in the field of um, medicine, the research continues to uh, produce ever new medicines which cure a disease on the spot or at least within a short time. But this kind of medicines, they only cure the symptoms. Very rarely are the roots um, of that particular disease completely uprooted. But most people don't care. They want the quick fix because they need to function in whatever situation they find themselves in. The Buddha's teaching the Dhamma can be compared to medicine that, and this medicine not only cures the symptoms, but it has the power and the strength to completely eradicate all the roots of unsatisfactoriness, misery and suffering. So the teaching of the Buddha, the Dhamma, is the medicine for perfect mental health. And to make the medicine most effective, we have to mix together all the different ingredients and then apply them constantly until we are completely cured. So of the ingredients which are mentioned in this verse, Um, I would like to talk about about some of them tonight. Mindfulness meditation is about being aware of what is going on in our bodies and mind. It's a quite simple method, but very effective and powerful. And this method doesn't require a lot of theoretical or analytical understanding. 
However, when we try to apply it in our meditation practice, we come to realize that it is actually not that simple at all. Our minds don't want to stay in the present moment. They are not used to be still for some extended periods of time. Our minds, they take delight in roaming about the past or creating fantasies about the future. And a frequent occurrence during our meditation practice are thoughts of resentment, dislike, anger or remorse. If somebody has hurt us a lot or if it was only a slight irritation, then we are immediately caught up in thoughts of anger, resentment or blame. And from our point of view, it is so obvious that the fault lies with the other person, that the other person is the cause for our anger or remorse or resentment. So we are the victims and we are to be pitied. Whatever fault is there, it lies on the other side. It's never our fault. These kinds of thoughts, thoughts of resentment, anger, dislike or remorse, they are very juicy thoughts because they heighten the sense of self. They are very seductive emotions because they strengthen this sense of I, me or ego. So these thoughts, they are actually um, very good ego boosters. And strange enough, although these um, thoughts are awful in one regard, we still cling to them. We take delight in them. We don't want to let, let go of them. If they were just awful and unpleasant, like Uh, burning ourselves on a hot fire, we immediately would let go of them. But something is in there, in these uh, thoughts of anger, resentment, remorse, that we hold on to them, that we don't want to let go of them. These thoughts of resentment, anger or remorse they can be countered by forgiveness. Forgiveness is the best way to start a new day or to start a retreat, to start a new year. Forgiveness is a way of letting go of the past or coming to terms with the past. It's a new start, a renewal or a new beginning. As we, as we forgive other persons or ourselves for the harm or suffering that we have um, experienced, then our hearts become lighter and the healing of the open wounds can finally take place. When we do a forgiveness practice, 
then first of all, we should forgive ourselves for any harm or suffering that we have done to ourselves. And then we should forgive other beings for any harm um, we have done to them. And lastly, we should forgive other beings for any harm that they have done to us. So this can be put into the following sentences. In many ways, I have caused harm and suffering to other beings. I forgive myself. In many ways, I have caused harm and suffering to myself. I forgive myself. And in many ways, others have harmed me. I forgive them. Forgiveness doesn't mean that we approve of a hurtful deed that others have done. But it's rather a way of unburdening the heart from the burning fires of thoughts of resentment, anger or dislike. The practice of forgiveness can greatly reduce or even completely extinguish the fires it can extinguish the fuel um, for the, uh, that is needed for these fires uh, to keep burning. If we do not forgive, then we live, or we have to live, with these thoughts of resentment, dislike, anger, or remorse. Or we bear a grudge to, towards the person who has done us some harm or caused us some suffering. And these thoughts are actually like poison for our heart. It's like we ourselves swallow the poison, but then we expect the other person to die of it. It's quite obvious that these kinds of thoughts are not beneficial and not helpful at all. And on top of that, these kinds of thoughts our mind-altering emotions, which can have a devastating effect on our ability to think. And not only that, they also uh, affect our bodies. When we get angry, when we have thoughts of hatred or strong resentment, then also our bodies become agitated. Our hearts will start to beat faster or even our blood pressure can rise or we feel a tightness in our chest so all these are uh, quite negative side effects of these unwholesome thoughts when we think that we are the victim of another person's deed, then we look at that situation from a wrong angle or from a wrong point of view. And this view emerges from a very narrow frame of perception which um, is based on our delusion, on our uh, not knowing. 
if we could stay mindful and alert and always knowing what is entering through the six sense doors, entering through the eyes, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body and the mind, then we would come to realize that it is only through our unskillful reactions that all our suffering arises. The cause for our suffering never lies outside of us. It is only through our ignorance that the multitude of suffering and misery arises. And with this realization, we could easily forgive and drop these thoughts of anger, resentment or hatred. But even if we haven't come to this realization, we still should make an effort to forgive and especially to forgive ourselves. We can be so hard on ourselves. Most of the time, we are much more forgiving of others, and most of the time, others are much more forgiving um, with us. But with ourselves, we can be so hard, almost cruel, and then because of that, we develop, we develop a low self-esteem or feelings of unworthiness. So why are we so hard on ourselves? Why don't we want to pull out the arrow which is stuck in our heart? After having become a nun, I have discovered a beautiful practice that nuns and also monks do when they leave the monastery. So when a nun is leaving the monastery, then she goes um, and pays respect uh, from the abbess, taking leave and uh, paying respect. Then the nun also asks for forgiveness for any harm or slightest irritation that she has caused by her actions of body, speech, and mind. And so then the abbess replies that everything has been forgiven and in turn also asks, asks for forgiveness for any harm or suffering that she had done by actions of body, speech, and mind. And so in this way, both parts can heart with with a pure heart, not uh, carrying around any thoughts of resentment or remorse. Because if we do not forgive, then we carry these thoughts of resentment, anger, dislike or remorse with us. This can be for days, for weeks, even for months and years. And this can be quite a heavy burden that weighs down on our mind. And on top of that, it's unnecessary baggage which occupies a lot of space in our mind. If people are overweight and if one wants to demonstrate 
the excess baggage that they are carrying around with them, they are given a backpack which is as heavy as they are overweight. So, for example, if a person is 15 kgs overweight, then that person is giving, given a backpack of 15 kgs, and then the person has to uh, go for a hike carrying this backpack. So, carrying 15 kgs on your back is quite heavy, and if you have to walk with that for two or three hours, uh, you will feel it. You will get quite tired, and your back and shoulders may even start to hurt and ache. So then finally, when the person is allowed to put the backpack down, that person will feel a great relief. In the same way, we could feel very relieved if we put down the burdensome thoughts of anger, resentment or remorse with the practice of forgiveness. If we learn to forgive ourselves and others for the harm that has been done in the past, then we are also much more forgiving in the present when uh, some harm is caused. To forgive on the spot also means that we are patient with whatever is happening to us. Patience is another quality that is needed on the spiritual path and that we need to develop in order to make progress. In Pali it's called Kanti and it is also one of the ten perfections, the Paramis. We should learn to be patient with everything and everyone But above all, we also need to be patient with ourselves. And especially during the practice of meditation, we need to accept our shortcomings, our imperfections, and we need not to become disheartened if things are not going the way we expect them to go. Our attitude should always be one of a beginner with a completely open heart. If we can patiently witness the ongoing processes in our body and mind, then we will not be driven by our desires to react immediately. A lack of patience makes us react immediately. even unconsciously, and in this way we always are slaves to our many desires and wantings. With patience we could step back, relax, and just be a witness to the many processes occurring in this body and mind. It could be so easy if there was no sense of um, I or ego involved. Then we could bear witness to whatever comes up in the body and mind with a relaxed and uh, balanced mind.
Understanding the law of cause and effect can help us to be more patient, especially in situations when we think that a great injustice is being done to us. If we only perform actions of body, speech and mind which are wholesome, then the law of cause and effect will protect us. Then we are well protected under the wings of karma. The great Tibetan master Milarepa had to show um, his patience when he asked for teachings from his teacher Marpa. Because when he asked for teaching, Marpa didn't give him teaching straight away, but he told Milarepa to go and build a stone tower. So Milarepa went, gathered together stones, and built this stone tower. It took him a couple of years, and after he had finished it, he went back to his teacher Marpa and told him that the tower had been built. But Marpa only told him that the tower was in the wrong place, that he should pull it down and build it in a different place. So Milareta went, pulled the tower down, and built it in a new place. And again, it took him a few years, and when he had finished, he went back to his teacher and told him that his job um, was finished. And again, Marpa told him that the tower was in the wrong place. He should pull it down and build it in another place. And Milarepa did as he was told. Then, after he had um, completed it for the third time, he went back to his teacher Marpa and told him that uh, he had finished now. And it was only then that Marpa started to give him teachings. If it hadn't been for Milarepa's great patience, he would have never received teachings from um, Marpa. Milarepa not only needed great patience, but he also needed a great amount of effort and perseverance. Effort is another indispensable quality um, for success, be that in worldly matters or be that in spiritual matters. Without effort or energy, nothing can be accomplished. The reason why effort or energy is so crucial is the fact that we have to work out our own liberation. The Buddha did what he could by pointing out the way, by giving us um, instructions, but we ourselves must put it into practice, and to do so, we need some effort. We need to put energy into our practice. As the defilements are very deeply rooted, it's 
not a quick and easy job. So we need to be persevering. And we need to keep doing it until we have reached our goal. Walking on the path to freedom is not an easy task to do, but it's not impossible. It's doable. Even great and realized beings have not been spared to make an effort in their practice. His Holiness the Dalai Lama, in his great modesty, put it into these words. And this is a quote from 15 years ago. He said, Within a short time span, it is impossible to change all our concepts or the entire attitude of our mind. It needs constant application. Speaking from my own small experience, from the age of about 16 or 17, I began to make some serious effort to change and improve my outlook. Now, at 55, some 39 years have gone by. Several decades have passed. Yet still the result is not satisfactory. We do have to struggle and to work hard. And this is the reality. So, even if a great and realized being, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, speaks like this, how can we expect it for us to be different? All those who have walked on the path and who have attained some levels of realizations, they encourage us to persevere and to go on, even though our progress might be slow or not obvious at all. Here is an analogy to illustrate this point. For chickens to hatch, it takes some time until the little chickens are big and strong enough to destroy their shell uh, with their beaks. After the mother hen has laid the eggs, she sits on the eggs day after day. Although there is nothing to be seen from the outside, she does not give up and continues to sit on the eggs. Ten days, two weeks, three weeks go by, and each day she sits on her eggs. From the outside, nothing seems to be happening. The eggs look the same every day. But inside, inside the egg, great changes are taking place. A big transformation is happening. From the fertilized egg, then a little chicken starts to develop and grow slowly taking shape, head, wings, legs, uh, the body are formed, and the organs are developed. And so then, finally, after 28 days, the little chicken is strong and big enough to 
destroys the shell uh, with its beak and then hatches. If it hadn't been for the persistent effort of the mother hen to sit on the eggs day after day, the little chicken wouldn't have been able to hatch. If the mother hen had given up after two weeks or twenty days because nothing was happening, the little chicken inside would have died. Very near our uh, meditation center in Burma, near the forest center, there is a chicken farm. And there they do not breed the chickens to sell them, uh, but they breed them to, to sell the little chickens after they have hatched. And so there, after the mother hen has laid the eggs, they collect the eggs and put them into an incubator. And in that incubator, it only takes 21 days for the little chickens to hatch. And this is because the temperature there is constant. So the eggs get a constant temperature all the time, 24 hours a day. And so then the development of the little chicken inside the egg can take place constantly without interruption. And so that only requires 21 days for the chickens to hatch. In the natural world, the mother hen cannot sit on the eggs 24 hours a day, but she has to get up to relieve herself or to go and uh, search for food. And so then that uh, makes this development uh, slower. Therefore, it takes 28 days. In our meditation practice, it is the same. If we could apply all the ingredients or all the necessary qualities constantly and uninterruptedly, then we surely would make steady progress towards our goal. A constant and persistent effort or practice will show results in uh, the appropriate time. However, if we have gaps in the practice, then the progress will be slower. It will take more time. And at the same time, it also requires more energy, more effort, because we have to get ourselves started time and again. Effort or energy is divided into four groups, and they are also referred to as the four great endeavors. And they are, first of all, the effort to prevent the arising of unwholesome uh, mental states. Second, it's the effort to abandon unwholesome states which have already arisen. And the third kind of effort is to arouse or develop wholesome states which have not yet arisen. And the fourth kind of effort is to maintain 
or even further develop wholesome states which have already arisen. Our effort, our energy should be directed towards the liberation of our mind and it should be directed at decreasing and finally uprooting all of our defilements, all of our unwholesome uh, mental states. When His Holiness the Dalai Lama was asked how one could measure spiritual progress, he said, well, take a little time, let's say 10 or 15 years, then look if there is a positive change in your life. Some of you may know or may have heard of Pablo Casals, who is a very famous cellist. His fame spread wide and far in the classical music world. He became well known and famous through his interpretation of Johann Sebastian Bach's uh, cello sonatas. When I was younger, before becoming a nun, I used to listen uh, to his um, interpretations of these cello sonatas, and that was such an exquisite experience. Now he is in his 90s, and when he was 90 years old, apparently he still practiced on his cello every day for four to five hours. And to the question why, he said, because I think I'm still making progress. To illustrate another ingredient which is needed for our success in the practice, I will tell you another little story. It's the story of the pots and the, no, the story of the pots with the little stones and the butter. One day, a young man came crying and weeping to the Buddha, and he was so immersed in uh, crying that he even couldn't start talk. And so the Buddha addressed him, Young man, what's happened to you? Why are you crying? And finally he could say, Venerable sir, my old father has died yesterday. And so the Buddha said, Well, your father has died. What can I do? And the young man said, Well, Venerable Sir, I understand um, you cannot do anything for that, but please do something for my father. And the Buddha asked, What can I do? And again the young man said, Well, you know, there are all these other ascetics and priests, and they uh, perform very magical rituals, and when they do that, then the doors of heaven open up, and the soul of the deceased finds entrance, and will then um, enjoy the eternal bliss of the heavens. 
You are such a powerful person, I've heard. So please, do something for my dead father. The young man was so much overwhelmed by his grief that he couldn't follow any logical um, argument by the Buddha. And so the Buddha had to find another way of making him understand. And so he said to the young man, Well then, young man, go to the market and bring me some, bring me two earthen pots. Hearing that, the young man thought that the Buddha had consented to perform some magic ritual and happily he went to the market and came back with the two pots. Then the Buddha told him to fill one of the pots with little stones and to fill the other pot with butter. The young man did it and then the Buddha ordered him to seal the pot uh, tightly. And after the young man had sealed the pots tightly, the Buddha told him to take the pots to the near pond and put them into the water. And then the young man did as he was told, and when he put the pots into the water, immediately they sank to the bottom of the pond. And then the Buddha told him to take a stick and to to hit the pot. And the young man took a long stick and was hitting the pot, and so they broke. Then immediately the little stones spilled out and remained on the ground of the pond whereas from the other pot, the butter uh, came up and floated on the surface. Then the Buddha told the young man, Well, this this much I have done for you. Now go and call all the ascetics and priests and tell them to start chanting and praying. Tell them they should uh, chant O little stones, O little stones, come up, come up. O butter, O butter, go down, go down. Let me see how this will happen. And the young man was perplexed and said, But, venerable sir, you must be choking. How is this possible? The little stones are heavier than the water, so they must remain on the bottom of the pond. How can they come up? This is a natural law. And the butter is lighter than the water, so it has to come up and float on the surface of the water. How can it sink down? This is a natural law. And the Buddha said, Well, good young man, you have understood that much, but it seems you have missed one point. If all his life your father had performed actions which were heavy like the little stones, he is bound to go down. Who could bring him up? And if all the actions of your father were light as the butter, 
then he is bound to stay up. Who could pull him down? What we do and how we do things is of great importance. I already mentioned the law of cause and effect a couple of times. The law of cause and effect not only works on the material plane, but according to the Buddha, it also works on the mental plane. In the same way that it is only natural for the little stones to sink to the bottom of the water, it's only natural that unwholesome actions will give result in unwholesome, will result in unwholesome effects. Neither prayer nor ritual can uh, change this. These are the natural laws which keep the world and which keep our life turning and forever going. On the physical level or on the material level, these laws are uh, easier to recognize. Like this, like the example of the stones. If we throw a stone into the water, then it naturally will sink to the bottom of the water. Or if we throw a stone out of the window, then it will fall down uh, on the ground. It won't fly up into the sky. Or if we take a block of ice and put it outside into the sun, like on a hot day as today, the ice very shortly will start to melt and finally uh, there will be no more ice. That's just natural. We wouldn't expect it to be different. And so, on the mental plane, the same laws are at work. Also on the mental plane, things do not happen at random, but they also follow these natural laws. So we see how tremendously important it is that we refrain from evil, that we cultivate good, and that we purify our mind. As long as our mind is overcome with defilements, then it very, it's very difficult to discern the good from the bad, or to discern the wholesome from the unwholesome. A mind which is defiled looks at the world in a distorted way. It's like wearing some colored or stained glasses, and so then we cannot see the world as it uh, truly is. We get a pink world if we look through pink glasses, or we see um, a green world if the glasses are green. So as long as we, we are under the influence of the defilements, as long as we are under the influence of ignorance, of not fully uh, seeing reality as it is, we need certain guidelines which tell us what is considered to be good or bad, 
or what is to be considered as wholesome or unwholesome. And I already have mentioned uh, these guidelines or the precepts uh, as they are also referred to as in the Buddhist teaching. So these five basic guidelines or precepts, they give us a point of reference um, so we can guide our actions uh, to be within that limit, that limit which is considered to be wholesome, beneficial or good. And once we know what these guidelines um, are, then we should be mindful to, to follow them or not to transgress them. And for that we need uh, an alert mind, knowing what we are going to do. So therefore, we should be as mindful as we can and always consider if something we are going to do or if something we are going to say is beneficial and helpful. So in this talk we have looked at some of the ingredients which are necessary for our practice to be successful. Each of these ingredients has its own taste or flavor and has its own characteristics which may taste very nice and good if it is taken alone. However, if we mix together all these different ingredients in the right amount, then we get a unique blend which becomes more potent and which or whose beneficial results are multiplied many, many times. The constant and systematic application of this unique blend will yield results in a short time and will make the path to success an easy and swift one. So, may all of you swiftly progress on the path to freedom and find release from all kinds of suffering. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.